0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 167 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Beating Lime, and interview with Emma Bakoulis. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Matt, this is a classic childhood Lyme disease story where we have a young woman who grew up on Long Island and she was bitten by ticks repeatedly. She started to get sick at seven, went to see doctors and didn't get a diagnosis. Got really sick again at 16, received the diagnosis, but was never told it was Lyme disease. Finally, she went off to college, got really sick, became chronically ill, and finally she was diagnosed with Lyme disease.
1: Rich, Emma was such an inspiration because she was so sick that she had to come home from college and was almost bedbound. But shortly after, She was able to go back to school and do a semester abroad in Europe after finding a game-changer treatment
0: that she shares in this podcast interview. And now, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce to the Think Boot Camp community, Emma Pakoulis. So, hey, Emma, welcome to the podcast. Hi,
2: I'm very excited.
0: So we're really excited to have you too. But Emma, one of the things we do when we have Long Islanders on our podcast is we issue a trigger warning because we butcher the English language and it really is uncomfortable for many people to hear us all together. So you and Matt and I are all Long Islanders, native Long Islanders, and we are going to butcher the English language. So recognizing that we're going to mess up um, the pronunciation of just about everything, Emma, and that apology issued in advance, talk to us
2: about where you live and where you grew up. I live now in Manorville and Suffolk County. I'm way out east in the Pine Barrens. I grew up though in Nassau County in Wantawa and um, Massapequa where I hiked. I lived in the backyard. I um, lived on the beaches and I got tick bites at everywhere I went. Hiking, beaches, Tobey Beach. Um, and then when I was 10 or 11, we moved to Manorville which is very woodsy and deer in my backyard all the time. Got bit a couple of more times then, um, but never really any major symptoms. Little things that I didn't know were symptoms.
0: So you had the, you sort of had the uh, the positive and the negative Long Island experience that you and Matt and I have all, all enjoyed together. Long Island is a beautiful place with beautiful beaches and and beautiful. Uh, hiking trails, and it's just a really beautiful place. But of course, there's the downside to this beautiful place that we live in. And that is that ticks are everywhere and getting bitten by ticks is a part of all of our experiences. So let's talk about let's talk about your experiences and what that caused you to dream about during your childhood, meaning where did Emma see herself when she was a child, um, ultimately growing up to be?
2: Um, well, when I was in middle school, I fell in love with languages, Spanish, French, and Italian, and I was a very avid reader, so I just spent all my time reading outside and um, eventually studying Spanish, and my goal was to either be this amazing translator at the UN or be this international businesswoman that just translated for everybody, um, But when I got to college, that was when my symptoms started um, and my languages were the first to go because I had such severe neurological Lyme. All right. So let's talk about your childhood on Long
0: Island. You grew up in, you know, two of the nicest communities going to two of the best school districts on Long Island. Um, And of course, um, you were a kid who was out in nature, either directly or indirectly, even when you were doing your geeky studies. Um, What did you know about ticks and Lyme disease from your educational experience after going to two of Long Island's top school districts?
2: I knew nothing. What I knew was from my mom researching, um, don't get bit by a tick. And that was kind of all I absorbed as a young girl. Never really, when we would go on field trips, I remember I pulled ticks off of me, but there were never any warnings about Lyme disease or having ticks when we go on field trips. And I remember sometimes like, the teacher would hear it from all of the parents because we would all come home with ticks. There was never any discussion about it.
0: All right. So let's talk about your health classes, right? I mean, health was a part of the curriculum that you took um, at, again, two of the top school districts on Long Island. Did you ever learn about ticks, Lyme disease, Lyme disease prevention, anything at all about this experience that you were coming in contact with on a regular basis, both in Nassau County or in Suffolk County?
2: Nope. I didn't even learn it was called Lyme disease until I was diagnosed. So now you said that you
0: would go on school trips um, during your youth uh, and you would find ticks biting you on the school trips. Were there any, was there any training or any information given to you or your parents before you went on these school trips where you came back with ticks biting you?
2: Other again, than what my mom looked at on her own. No, no training. Nope. Mom, mom always liked to look into things
0: okay but let's 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 talk specifically about what steps your mom took because she was either given information from the school district or from information that she had learned in her effort to be a good mom were there any steps that you took to pre- prevent yourself from being bitten by ticks meaning were you using any uh, permethrin sprays on your shoes were you wearing any particular types of clothes were you engaging in any te- checking techniques what were you
2: doing Tick checks were always very big in my house. Every time we went hiking, there was a tick check. Um, we didn't spray our clothes with anything, but it was always long, high socks. Um, I think we wanted to tape our socks once, but I don't know if we ever did.
0: <laughs> so what did a tick check look like in your family? Meaning, what did your mom
2: teach you to do when you were checking for ticks? She would check too. It was We would strip everything and she would help us look in all of the tight, warm, places um like armpits growing everything the areas that they like
0: but now would you would you also uh check when you weren't going on trips on ticks meaning were, were tick checks just a part of the, your daily life uh during your youth in Nassau and Suffolk counties or was just something you did when you went on a school trip
2: only when we hiked okay it was if we were out for too long in the backyard or specifically when hiking that was a tick check
0: so now we have this young kid becoming a young woman who envisions herself uh, bringing people together by assisting them to communicate through translation. Right. And you decide that you're going to go to college and now you start to get sick. Talk to us about how your symptoms began to develop and how it began to interfere with your capacity to pursue your dream as a translator.
2: So um, when I went to school, I was very athletic. I was working out all the time. Um, and the first thing I noticed was that my hips froze. Um, my sophomore year of school, my freshman year, I did great. Um, I was- High taken- school or college now? <laughs> college. Okay. High school, I was diagnosed with mycoplasma and suffered from fatigue. Um, but so I so took- Let's walk that back. I, I yeah. may have run, ahead,
0: run too far ahead. So how many times have you bitten by ticks prior to your high school diagnosis?
2: I was bit at two- um, I don't know if I was bit at seven, but we found about a million on me. Um, and one or two times out here before I went to high school, I was bit a couple of times. Okay. Yeah. And I, experienced now, have, air amp. Hmm? now,
0: despite all of these tick bites and all these ticks crawling on you at different times during your life, did you have any symptoms prior to your high school diagnosis?
2: When I was nine, I had this really long bout of air hunger. Um, I had no clue what it was, and I had started playing the flute, so I attributed it to that. I would have these horrific, horrific, horrific stomach pains where it was this nausea, hunger, aching all at once that was just mind-blowing. And I had to stop every single sport I played because of pain. I was the only child that had bad joints and weak tendons. So I, yeah, everything had to go by 12. I had accepted. I am a walking tendonitis person. Okay. So
0: did your parents take you to doctors and did the doctors diagnose you with anything during that window of your pre 12 year old life?
2: They did. They took me to doctors and, um, I found allergies. I had severe dairy and gluten allergies and egg, um, so after I changed my diet, a lot of my symptoms improved. I had no fatigue. I had no stomach issues. And um, yeah, it wasn't until I was like 16 and extremely fatigued that my parents took me again.
0: All right. So between 12 and 16, you were generally healthy. You had yeah. made changes to your diet. You had made some lifestyle changes and you were relatively healthy until you're 16. What happened when you turned 16?
2: I was just so exhausted all the time. No matter what, I came home, I slept. I slept, I worked, I slept. I had no energy. It was, it was just strange. So
0: how did that energy loss present itself? And how is that different from when you were tired in the past, meaning we know that people with Lyme disease suffer from chronic fatigue and that's very different than being tired. So can you contrast the two different types of tiredness that you felt when you were tired as a younger person versus when you started to suffer this severe fatigue?
2: Yeah, it, it was like I, I couldn't, my brain wouldn't communicate with my muscles. They were so tired. It was like my muscles just didn't even, they didn't have the strength to get up. They, they were telling me, no, I'm not moving my legs. You know, they were dead weights. It was too much energy to lift. Now, what
0: impact was all of this fatigue and the symptoms that you were developing having on you socially? Meaning how were your friends treating you and how were people who were not necessarily in your friendship circle treating you since you always seemed to be the sick kid?
2: Um, I think at that point they were used to it. Little, I had a really supportive boyfriend who was always sleeping as well. So it was kind of like we both didn't know We weren't supposed to be sleeping this much either. So it was almost like a normalcy for me too, because my friends were like, oh, tell she's just sick. And my boyfriend was sleeping with me. So it was normal in high school.
0: Okay. So now without getting into too much detail about someone else's journey, did that boyfriend also have
2: Lyme disease? I believe so. He never got tested. We went our own ways, but I believe so. Okay. So there was some
0: sense of normalcy with your severe fatigue because you were in a relationship with someone else who also had severe fatigue. So the two of you were kind of like crashing all the time together. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about uh, what your initial diagnosis was when you were 16 and what did the doctors tell you the cause of this diagnosis was?
2: My, the first time I was diagnosed, I was 16 and my doctor diagnosed me with mycoplasma and he gave me, I want to say, two months of doxycycline. Okay. Um, I was so confused the whole time. I felt so in the dark. I had, he it, it didn't say Lyme disease. He didn't say co-infection. He just said, you've got something that uh, doctors don't know what it is. So I'm going to put you on an antibiotic for, and I would try to look it up on my own. And thankfully now there's so much more research on mycoplasma. But when I was trying to look it up, it was very weird. There was not anything on it. I was kind of scared.
0: So now, did your doctor tell you that this this disease that you were now being diagnosed with was a result of a tick bite? No.
2: Me, no. I did not.
0: No. And did the doctor tell you that you should or tell your family that you should all be looking for other types of symptoms that may be developing because you now had this infection that could be a co-infection or could be one of many infections that you may have suffered as a result of a tech bite?
2: That was definitely not a conversation.
0: Okay. So now you move forward and you have your, your, your two months of doxy and how does that work for you?
2: Seemed to get me my push. I was okay. My fatigue was gone. I was ready for school. I was ready to go off to college.
0: Okay. So now other than taking the doxy for two months, did you do anything else to protect your gut? Did you do anything else to deal with uh, deal with um, um, making sure that you you were um, healthy from herxing? I mean, what information did you get other than, hey, take this two months of uh, of antibiotics?
2: I didn't, I was herxing was not in my vocabulary. It was take the two months of antibiotics and I was thankfully health conscious on my own. I was always eating right. I was juicing a lot at that time and very into working out and taking care of myself. So, So, yeah.
0: So the healthy habits that you developed when you were 12 were habits that you continued into the future and between the doxy that the doctor had given you and the healthy habits that you had already developed, your body was managing the um, both the Detoxing of the of the bacteria. You were managing the doxy, and you were able to go forward with going off to college.
2: Yeah, at the time, yes. So
0: you go off to college, and your goal again is to major in foreign languages. And you're going to now bring people together by assisting them with your interpretive skills, right? Yes.
2: How'd that work? I didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I was my first year. was great. I loved it. I was so excited to be studying and piling on as many classes and credits as i could um in between my first and second summers i was working as a waitress and i started getting this horrific knee pain um, but i would work like 14 hour shifts, so i couldn't i didn't i just was like i gonna stop working so much um, but it was really really intense and then i would lay off of it it would be fine and then sophomore year came fall semester and my hips just like froze up one day walking back from class it was the normal gait was gone the normal swing of everything was gone it was like they were just locked and in pain and I just started rubbing my right hip out all the time and my friends just kind of like would look at me weird like all right Emma's in pain like oh they didn't really know me these are new friends and um I, thankfully my mom would send me to massage masseuses and they were like, your hip joint is completely locked. Like you need to do something about this. We can't help you. Um, and I started experiencing severe brain fog also at the time. So and it's just my my hips froze and then my brain's kind of just like giving up. And every day my fatigue is back 10 times, a hundred times harder. Um, and it just felt like getting to class was this monumental feat. And back home, my brother has OCD and he was in high school at the time and his OCD was pretty serious. And I, I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't call my parents and be like, listen, something serious is also going on with me. Cause after it was my hips, it was my shoulders. And then once my, it was my shoulders, my neck, my knees it was my head, my back, everything hurt from head to toe. And it, it took about four months because finally spring semester came and I didn't recognize myself in the mirror and I called them and I was panicking and I was like, I don't know what this is. And I had a nightmare of me drowning in tall grass. So I said to my mom, I, maybe Lyme disease, you know? And thankfully she gets me an appointment with a doctor who diagnosed me with Bartonella, with Bartonella, mycoplasma and he diagnosed me with um, Lyman Babesia, but he was as in the dark as I was. And I just remember him pulling out this big medical book in front of me and reading the definition of Babesia in front of me and me being like, oh my God, this is frightening. And after that, it was just symptoms kept worsening. Um, and I thought I was having reactions to medication, which he we no one knew what a Herxheimer was for me at that time. So I stopped. My meds, and uh, that was probably the first mistake.
0: <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. Let's, let's let's revisit this window of time between the first time you see your doctor and he diagnoses you with a tick disease, but doesn't tell you it's a tick disease, and the second time you go back to the same doctor while you're in college, and what maybe we could have done differently. So, <clears throat> one of the one of the things that really sort of struck me when you were describing your experience as a freshman and then the summer between your freshman and sophomore years is that, of course, stress was something your doctor should have urged you to be aware of because you were suffering from a tick disease. And there is the possibility that stress could be an immune disrupting event, which would cause other tick diseases to um, take off in you. So were you having the typical freshman experience where you were taking a lot of classes and having a vibrant social life and doing some work and doing all kinds of things where you are burning the candle at both ends.
2: I was um, burning the candle at both ends. I noticed immediately that when I would party, I experienced brain fog, like, and it just seemed like no one else did. So I cut that out fast. I was just not for me. I don't know why it takes me five days to experience a hangover. That's not a hangover. Um, but I think my stress came. I was still seeing the boyfriend in high school and um, we were long distance at that point. And he broke up with me in a very surprising manner where I came home one day to surprise him. And he just looked at me and he's like, listen, we're done. And we were together for three years. So for me, that was also after I was like during finals and I had a roommate experience as many people in college do. They have to switch roommates. I had a crazy stressful roommate situation so I switch rooms and my boyfriend at home breaks up with me and then it's finals and now my knee's on fire and I think I got a final tick bite at school because um, my mom went to visit me and there was a bullseye on my neck
0: so and that was okay. the only bullseye
2: I've ever gotten
0: so let's let's pause there for a second so you believe that you were reinfected by suffering another tick bite between the time that you left for college and the time you now came home for the summer after your freshman year. Yes. Yeah. Now, did you find the tick biting you or do you believe the tick was biting you because you saw the bullseye rash?
2: I believed it because my mom found it on my neck and I um, went to the school nurse the next day and they gave me some fungicide cream. There was no Discussion of bullseye lime, and I was in the Hudson Valley, and it should have been the right thing. I got a fungicide cream.
0: <laughs> All right, and did that fungicide cream that they gave you um, have a steroid in it? I think it did. So it couldn't have been any worse. They <laughs> <No>. <laughs> didn't properly diagnose you, and then they gave you something that, of course, it would suppress your immune system. So let's go forward and now get to your second visit with your doctor at home. But actually, before we get there you now have the summer off between your freshman and sophomore years after suffering a reinfecting tank bite after having a unbelievably stressful life during your freshman year where you're not burning the candle at both ends, but on like five ends. And now you're working 14 hour days, right? How that, how did that help in your progressing Lyme disease symptoms?
2: I uh, kept waiting for my energy to come back. Yes, I kept thinking that as I was working, it would just come back. I just needed to start incorporating working out more. And it never came back. It just got worse.
0: And then you crash, right? You have to crash and you go back to the doctor. And now the same doctor who diagnosed you with the tick disease diagnoses you with another tick disease. But his capacity to diagnose and treat this was so limited that he's taking out the book in front of you and reading to (laughs) you the... Diseases he's now diagnosing you with, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So now, what did the doctor, who's now reading the book in front of you, prescribe for you to now deal with these other tick diseases? Now he's that he's finally diagnosing you with.
2: Uh, so he put me on first just azithromycin, um, which two weeks and I started having the most horrific migraines and I didn't know they were herxheimer reactions um they lasted so long um even I I stopped the medication I want to say a month in because I couldn't handle them um even two three weeks after I was off the pills I was still experiencing them so I went back and he said there was no still no mention of a herxheimer which was why I was very hesitant because he was like let's go back on them and I was like but I'm I'm not reacting well. And he wanted to put me on that in mefron. Um,
0: Okay. So let's, so the first time you, you see this doctor, when you're 16, he, he prescribes you with doxycycline, right? Mm -hmm. Then when you, when you go back after your freshman year in college, he, he, he prescribes a different antibiotic. Did he talk to you about why he prescribed you a different antibiotic than he did the first time?
2: I don't think so.
0: Now you've already shared with us, he did not talk to you about detoxing. He did not talk to you about probiotics and gut health. He didn't talk to you about anything other than, hey, take this medicine. And then when you went back to him a month later, he said, okay, I'll give you another medicine. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you or anyone in your family think that perhaps you should be pivoting to another doctor, perhaps a doctor that would be more competent to diagnose and treat you with these tick diseases?
2: I definitely felt when he pulled the book out in front of me, this was not where I needed to be. Um, And I explained that to my mom and she was thankfully quick to say, you're right. This is something that seems pretty serious. I don't think we should just go by him looking it up in our appointments. Um, So my mom thankfully looked around and found some Lyme literate doctors.
0: Okay. So now did, did you find a Lyme literate doctor on Long Island or did you have to go somewhere else? Manhattan. Okay. Now, did it surprise you and your mom that you're living on Long Island, the birthplace of Lyme disease, or at least the bacteria, and you had to leave Long Island in order to be able to find a Lyme literate doctor?
2: Yeah, I was very surprised, a little irritated. Surprised. I'm out way out east, so that was two and a half hour hike.
0: Now, now... Now that you're sort of on the other side of this, looking back at that experience, how does it make you feel that there are no Lyme literate doctors on Long Island?
2: Crushed and nervous and disheartened, why they all have to, because there's there's so much in this. There's a financial aspect. It it should be common baseline knowledge, um, chronic Lyme disease and co-infections on Long Island. And doctors on Long Island, are so confused. So we know as Long Islanders that the ticks
0: that were dragged and ultimately studied and uh, and the bacteria that we now know as Lyme disease bacteria came from ticks that were found on Long Island. Isn't it shocking that, uh, you know, Matt, you and I have all had tick disease experiences. We live on Long Island and none of us could find a Lyme literate doctor on Long Island. That's kind of shocking,
2: isn't it? Mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. So before I before I uh,
0: turn this over to Matt so he can ask you a, a few more questions, one of the things I wanna share with you and our listeners is I've been bitten by ticks twice over the last two years. And last year I had to use a doctor in Chicago who is a brilliant young doctor and I, I'm blessed to have found Casey Kelly to, to work with last oh, year and this year, I worked with a doctor in North Carolina, Dr. Bill Rolls, another brilliant doctor. But what I found to be shocking and surprising is two things. First. My doctor was incompetent to treat me two years ago and uh, which is why I had to look for doctors somewhere else. And much more surprising to me is when I wanted to find a local doctor to treat me, I couldn't, I had to, I had to work with a doctor in Chicago and then a doctor in North Carolina and your experience of course, was now working with a doctor in Manhattan. So who'd you work with in Manhattan and how did that doctor treat you differently than the primary care physician you were working with?
2: Um, I wound up seeing the Morrison center in Manhattan. Um, And they had a different route at that point. I was on, it took me a little bit to get in with them. So I had um, been on a bunch of antibiotics. So when I went there, they took me off all the antibiotics and just put me on IVs. Um, Supplement boosting IVs, immune boosting IVs, And that was kind of how that went for a long time. And biofilm busters, um, yeah, it was just kind of five days a week. You're on an IV, eight hours a day, Um, which got me somewhere.
1: Emma, talk to us about what your symptoms were like when you went to the Morrison Center. So how sick were you at this time?
2: Uh, So when I went to the Morrison Center, I was at my sickest. I had no memory. I... um, I had finished my second year of college and I was speaking, I I had to give Spanish presentations in my Spanish classes and I would just start talking in Italian and I would just see all my classmates faces and really like, what is this girl saying? And I'm like, how are they not understanding me? My professor's in the back of the room mouthing wrong language. And at work where I would work, I was a waitress there three or four years um, And one day my boss asked me to get a knife from the back closet. And I totally, in one moment, didn't know where I was and walked into the men's bathroom. And they found me on the camera and called me into their office. And they were like, why are you going in the men's room? And I was just, I am so sorry. I totally forgot where I was. And they were like, that's a little alarming. You've been here sometimes. This isn't a big place. I um pick up food for my family for dinner, driving back from this restaurant that's seven minutes away, I completely forgot how to get home, I called my mom crying, pulled over, I don't know, I don't know, Um, and panic attacks, I was, again, still working, and it wound up being babesia, but the heat would bring out such panic attacks in me, that I just remember being at work, and my friends would bring me to the bathroom. Cause my face, I would just be dripping red sweat and they would throw ice cubes down my shirt. And it was like nothing. It didn't, I didn't even feel anything. I was so hot. Um, so my memory, my pain was at its worst working out was gone. Um, and I started gaining weight, which for me was never, I, I ate so clean. So it wasn't, I just didn't understand how, um, and vertigo, my God, it was, my brain just became, I didn't even, I was, it was depersonalization. I didn't feel here. I felt like I was in a dream. I just felt like I was literally pretending every single day as no one needs to notice that I'm like not here, my brain is on TV static. And so when I got to the, I had fallen once from being so dizzy. Um, so when I got to the Morrison Center, I was a wreck my body, it felt like had failed me.
1: So talk to us about what it was like at this actual doctor visit compared to your previous visits with your your doctor who had diagnosed you initially when you were 16 and then again, when you were 19.
2: This one, um, again, I was in the height of my symptoms. So I had a massive panic attack before and after just because it was the summer and I was hot. Um, and then I was very nervous because I it just seemed a lot more real. Um, iv sounded like a serious thing um and while i was happy to be heard but there was almost like this toxic positivity to it where it's like you look great you're gonna be fine and it was like okay and i had to leave because i was not fine so
1: and you mentioned they put you on ivs for five days a week so was this iv antibiotics and supplements or just primarily supplements to strengthen you at first
2: mostly supplements i only did one iv antibiotic um it was all supplements. Yeah,
1: minerals. And talk to us how you felt from these supplements. So, were the, and, and I guess before we even get there, were these supplements done outpatient at a hospital? Did you have a PIC line or a central line put in that you were doing yourself? What was the process of you actually getting these IVs on, on a daily basis throughout the week?
2: I was commuting to Manhattan from Long Island uh, every day, um, two and a half hour train ride there and back. And then I wound up going back to school and doing the same thing from New Pulse but just two hours away.
1: So with, with complications or delays, which there always is with the Long Island Railroad, we're talking over five hours a day to get you transported to and from Manhattan just to get your IV drips for your, your supplements. And I have to imagine that took a toll on your health as well, just driving and then getting on the train and commuting and being, that probably made you feel even worse.
2: Yeah, it, it felt like I was just being managed.
1: Did you feel any positive benefits from these IVs that you were being given to strengthen your body?
2: Yeah, they gave, me, they gave me strength, they gave me energy, and they, um, some joint pain went away, but it definitely did what it could.
1: Yeah. Do you recall any specific types of supplements or vitamins you were getting? Was it a Myers cocktail? Was it um, uh, glutathione? You know, What specifically were you getting in those IVs that were helping you in that limited way?
2: They were giving me vitamin C. Um, I was doing IV ozone. Um, I was doing IV NAD. I was working a long time to increase that one. Um, And then mineral and immune boosting cocktails.
1: Talk to us more about the IV ozone. We've heard a lot of varying things about that. Some people say it was their game changer to recover their health. Others say it actually made them feel worse. So for you and your personal health, what impact do you think ozone had on your either improvement or decline in your health?
2: So I did ozone a couple of times. I did several different types of ozone. I did IV ozone and then I did ozone in the ears and actually rectal ozone. Um, I did not notice anything from IV ozone, but again, I had a friend that loved it. Um, I personally found nothing. Um, but when I would do the ozone in my ears and rectum, I actually had uh, better clarity and much less digestive issues. So.
1: Talk to us more about the IV NAD. We've heard people tell us in the past they've taken NAD in varying ways, but can you tell us what is NAD and how it helps you in your health?
2: So first you have to warn them about NAD because it's not fair if you don't warn them. Um, NAD is definitely like a heavy substance that enters your body. Um, and it, if you enter too fast, your heart speeds up and everything feels really heavy and scary. Um, but if you tolerate it and you go slow, I found that it, it really helped my pain. It gave me some energy. I had a good experience with NAD.
1: And now, how long did you do these, these IV treatments for before you pivoted to your next therapy in your Lyme healing journey?
2: So I did the IVs um, for about two months, and then I went back to school. Then when I went back to school, I was a junior, at this point and I was living in an apartment off campus with my girlfriends and um, the IVs gave me a really good boost. So I was kind of only doing one every two weeks when I went back, Um, but I did not know that I was living right next to black mold. Um, My bed, there was a vent over it, the vent next to me and right behind the vent was a black mold infestation. Um, And I had no clue actually until a year later Um, the only thing that happened was I started declining rapidly. I could not lift my head. I could not get out of bed. I could not go to classes. I lost 30 pounds in about three weeks and I never had 30 pounds to lose. And I couldn't hold my head up eating. It was frightening. Um, I went back and again, every day, IVs every single day, but this time I didn't find any benefits from them because we didn't know I was suffering from black mold either. Um, So I wound up going home from school and the IVs weren't doing it for me. And and uh, at the treatment center, I was going to another patient recommended alternative therapy, uh, rife therapy out east on Long Island. And I went out east and I checked that out. And that was uh, instrumental for me.
1: Sam, a couple of questions to back up a little bit. So you were in between your freshman and sophomore year. You did the IVs, you went back to college, and you were doing them once every two weeks. Before you were exposed to the black mold back at college, give us an idea of how your symptoms improved. What were you doing that you couldn't do before as a result of all these IV treatments you described for us?
2: I um, felt like I could have conversations with my friends. I um, was able to be present. I wasn't Nothing was gone. There was no disappearance of brain fog, memory loss, but I was much, I had much more energy and clarity. I definitely felt able to like skate by.
1: And then when you went home after getting very sick and then continued to go back into New York city for these treatments, did you start to get better because you were no longer exposed to the black mold? Or do you think that your body was just so compromised that you couldn't even respond well to these therapies anymore?
2: I think my body was so compromised at that point. And at, we hadn't changed any therapies, any IVs, any, I, it turned into me needing, like I was asking for peptides and my doctor had looked at me and said, we didn't put you on that yet. I thought I gave you that. And like I'd ask for um, a homeopathic injection for my pain. And we didn't give that to you. I thought we were doing those. And it was like, wait a minute. It started turning into everything. Like she, my doctor thought, She was already doing everything with me and she wasn't.
1: And that's another important tip. We've heard this from from many of the people on the podcast that if the medical experience with your doctor is not a personalized one, you're not going to have the maximum benefit you can get because they either A, don't remember things about your treatment protocol, B, don't give you the time of day, and you're not really getting what you could out of that relationship. So it sounds like you started to recognize that were speaking to other people that were being treated there and then found some alternative treatment like like RIFE and PEMF that you could do closer to home on the east coast of Long Island. So talk to us about that transition. Did you continue to stay in the city doing the supplements and add in the PEMF technology and the RIFE technology or did you just go straight to RIFE and electromagnetic therapy?
2: So at that point, they had also, the Morrison Center made a satellite office, thank God, out east, but they weren't advertising it. So it was only the locals that knew. Um, so one day a week, I would get my IV out east, but four or five days a week, I would switch to out east completely and do the RIFE and the PEMF and infrared sauna.
1: And talk to us now. So you're really sick from the mold. You're still getting your IVs occasionally, and now you're doing the RIFE and the infrared sauna with a different medical practice. sound. like this was somebody that was recommended to you by a fellow patient, correct? Yes. Yeah. And- did you research PEMF and did you research RIFE and, and all these other therapies or did you just kind of go in blindly thinking, hey, I'll try anything at this point?
2: I went in blindly. I trusted my parents. My parents did the research. At that point, I was take me anywhere. I can't even see.
1: So what was that experience like? Did you, did it help right away? To walk us through what that was like for you getting the RIFE and also the infrared sauna.
2: Um, it was reassuring because I noticed Herzheimers and at that point I knew what a Herzheimer was and I wasn't really getting them from the IVs. So that was reassuring was that I know after I rife the first time I, it did something and that that would do something. And at that point I was like a hundred pounds not walking and I went home from school and I was this crazy lunatic that wanted to study in Spain for the next semester after going home from school. Um, but I made it because of the rife. It got me once a week, I would rife for Lyme. And then I would also follow the protocol for my other co-infections, which that's something to talk about too, because I was withheld co-infection results for over a year, which just set me back so much. But,
1: um, I'm sorry to stop you there. Can we, can we talk about that now? So what do you mean you withheld results for your co-infection? So are you saying that your initial doctor that treated you when you were 16 and 19 tested you for co-infections, but never shared the results with you?
2: No, the Morrison center. When I went and, um, they did my whole lab write up. I did not, they did not upload my positive Bartonella results for a whole year until I was at another, until I was switched doctors in that firm.
1: So they didn't upload them to your online account, nor did they tell you that you had any of these co-infections?
2: No, they told me, yep, you're still positive in Lyme, mycoplasma, and Babesia. Bartonella did not come up until I saw it on my own, and I printed it out and handed it to my new doctor, and he was like, would you look at that?
1: And who is this new doctor? Is this the alternative doctor that you were treating using Rife?
2: Mm, Yes, he was a physician's assistant at the same Morrison Center.
1: Okay, so now you're, you're home from college in your sophomore year. You're getting better through the use of Rife and Infrared Sauna. And you're still doing the IVs, correct? You're still going and getting the IVs from the Morrison Center out east in the new, mm-hmm. sem- in the new facility? Yep. Y- you get better and you decide you're going to go overseas and do a-, a semester abroad, it sounds like. Yes. Walk us through what that's like. So how, are you still going to do RIFE when you're overseas? And what other treatments are you doing to keep your Lyme and co-infections at bay while you're studying overseas?
2: So that was intense. Um, my best friend, uh, thankfully, made all the living Situations called everyone listen I'm living with my best friend but she's seriously ill and needs me um and we had figured out a way to transport all of my electrical equipment my rife is not a light machine. There's three parts to it and um, then there's two coils and you need a transformer to convert the wattage. So that was, that was tough, but I was determined and all I could think was if I'm going to feel like this, I've wanted to do this my entire life. I'm not going to let anything stop me, probably better food too. And, um, I rifed over there and I gained the weight I needed to gain. That was very big. My parents were very frightened. Um, my mom visited me though, in the middle of my trip and she brought me more supplements. Um, I was giving myself injections, so we had, like, five TSA notes for everything. They didn't even look. It was really funny. Um, But I came with pills, potions, herbs, injections, syringes, and I made them last.
1: So, Emma, give us some detail here, though. So these pills, potions, injections, et cetera, that your mom was bringing over for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: who are these prescribed by? Were these just found as a result of your mom researching, were they prescribed by your new alternative doctor and the physician's assistant out East? Yes. And what specifically were they, that were you, that you were using?
2: So it was, I was seeing the physician's assistant out East, but also the, I guess, nutritionist, um, that was in charge of writing. Um, and she was giving me herbs, um, herbal supplements, like cutenia cryptolepsis before that I, I, can't remember their names, but I remember it was like AB, AB1 that I took. And the herbs definitely had a strong reaction. I remember what one drop could do. I was um, taking peptides, peptide injections. um, And I took Alinea. Alinea was like my best friend when I was in Spain. Um,
1: Emma, what is Alinea?
2: Alinia is an antiparasitic medication. It's really good for babesia. And it's, um, I think, also a biofilm buster.
1: So of all these things that you were doing, and I think it's pretty neat that you found a facility close to home that had a physician's assistant, it had a nutritionist, and it used all this alternative medicine. It sounds like everything you were doing was really coming from this one center and you <laughs> were kind of phasing out the Morrison Center. Is that an accurate assessment of what was occurring during this time?
2: Yeah, at that time, yeah.
1: And then walk us through, if you have to look back, of all the herbs and all the supplements and all of the, the tinctures that we, you were using, is there anything in particular that you that you remember that stands out that was very helpful to that, that helped you feel better while overseas that you can share with our audience?
2: Definitely the Rife machine. The Rife machine continued to get me improving.
1: Have you ever, did you ever try anything like the Amp Coil? I know it's very similar to Rife. Have you ever tried anything like that? And can you can you give us any feedback on that if so?
2: no but yeah i used a coil from the rife. i've never i don't know if that's separate
1: i guess why why try something else if you're having success right <laughs> yeah so yes. okay so now you're in europe and it sounds like you have a pretty a pretty good time there you managed through and and you know walk us through what happens next and are you getting better are you getting worse do you come back to the states you know what happens now
2: um i was getting better i was getting better i was getting better and my rife broke in the middle of my trip Um, So at that point, I stopped getting better, started kind of getting sicker, Um, but thankfully it was the last month of my trip and I just noticed um, how, yeah, I I, I stopped, I was starting to decline again. My energy was going bad. Um, Pain never went away, but it got a lot better I was, I was able to go on walks with my friends, but when I left, not so much. And I came back and dove right back into rifing.
1: Now, when you came back, was this a, a full year abroad or a semester abroad? Was this around the holidays or was this around the summertime?
2: I got back uh, June. June,
1: so I okay. went
2: January to June, yeah.
1: So now you're back, you're not doing as well, and it's the summertime again. Do you go back mm-hmm. to doing aggressive rife? Do you try something else? What do you do for that summer you've come back and now you're not doing as great because the rife broke for the last month overseas?
2: So I did aggressive rites because at that point, I finally got my Bartonella results. Um, and I was rifing Bartonella every day and Babesia and Lyme and Mycoplasma. And I didn't realize Amp Coil is pulse electromagnetic therapy, is it? It
0: so is, was, yes.
2: <laughs> we wound up buying um, a mini version, the Pulse X, it's called. And I was doing that daily for the whole summer, every single day, rifing, PAMFing
1: my life. It really sounds like the electromagnetic therapy helped you the most so far. Uh, so, so talk to us, like you, can you explain for us exactly, or, or in general words, why that helps with Lyme and, and co-infections and, and, and all these other things? How does frequency therapy help treat Lyme disease?
2: So it's under the, um, I guess theory that everything expels a frequency, um, including our own pathogens inside of us. So, if we can meet that pathogen at that frequency, it's fun to watch online the videos of these pathogens combusting and dying in Petri dishes once you match their frequency. Um, So
1: it it will literally explode the pathogen. Yes. So now you're hardcore PEMFing when you get home and and now you're going back to now, I guess your junior year in college, right? This is my senior. Your senior year, I'm sorry, right, your senior year. walk us through that. Are you feeling better? Are you able to get through your senior year of college? How did that year go for you?
2: So at this point, I'm starting to get nervous um, because it kind of seemed like everyone for me was talking about like an end date in my healing Um, because I'm a senior now. And like my parents are like, so you'll be good for master's next year. right?" And I'm just like, what if I'm not? (laughs) It's been two years already. Um, So I am very aggressively going after my illness Um, and my doctor, I finally got the CDC approved Lyme disease. I showed up like 11 bands of Lyme and I was put on IV antibiotics. And um, I had a intense reaction to the first one. I had an allergic reaction. I was so itchy, I was so red, they had to watch me. Um, And by the second one, which I was surprised that we even continued I had a cough that wouldn't go away. And this was a couple of months before COVID. This was like October, November of last year, two years ago, I guess, wow. Um, And I was put on oxygen for the cough and thankfully, and my IV um, also went after respiratory infection. So it cleared that right up, but I woke up also unable to breathe and my whole body was completely restricted and I had a whole new, a of symptoms from the IV antibiotics.
1: Do you think that that was from <laughs> the antibiotics or is it possible do you think that that could have been COVID before we knew COVID was even around if that was around the period of when became, you know, more publicly known in, in the world?
2: I, I think that was COVID um, and I'm grateful my when I say that to my doctors, they validate that and hear that because we're also aware that if you have an autoimmune illness that COVID doesn't necessarily show up in your blood. Um, So that's nice because they were all very aware of that cough and how horrible that was and frightening.
1: So you continued on with the IVs and Mm -hmm. you basically fought through it. And how long were you on the IV antibiotics for at this time?
2: I only did three sessions of those. You had to space them out um, over three weeks a session.
1: And now this is, you're still in your senior year of college, right? Mm -hmm. So after those three sessions, you cleared up those symptoms, probably which were COVID related symptoms. How are you feeling after this because we've heard from a lot of people that have had covid that their lyme symptoms worsened after covid but you were also aggressively treating so i'm curious to know how you felt after this antibiotic treatment and you know hospital visit when you were out and over covid and done with the antibiotics
2: um so cloth disappeared completely um fatigue worsened i had this new shaking issue um took me a year to get diagnosed with small fiber neuropathy, um, which I think might have come from COVID, I'm not sure, Um, and this new breathing issue that I never, ever had. Um, I couldn't go upstairs or downstairs without, like, wanting to use my hands and knees. Energy was gone, Um, but at this time, I also started on disulf right after IV antibiotics. My doctor wanted to just go in. Um, and I was seriously herxing from disulfiram.
1: So it sounds like at this point, you probably were, well, you definitely were a chronic Lyme patient. You likely were a COVID long hauler, and yet you continue to fight, and now you're on disulfiram. So walk us through, we have so many people interested in disulfiram, and there's so many horror stories out there about adverse side effects, but there's also so many amazing recovery stories from disulfiram as well. So walk us through your experience with disulfiram, and you know, what was there herxing at first? And in the long term, how do you feel disulfram helped you in your overall health?
2: So I think I was on disulfiram for about eight months total. I definitely spaced it out and pulse and went on and off. First two months, I didn't really feel anything other than the worst fatigue in my Lyme journey. I would wake up crying, like I didn't sleep at all, and I would just cry because it was the only thing I could do throughout the day. I was so tired. It was like my body is just two months, and that was what my doctor kind of warned me I was going to feel. He said, listen, two months, you might, it's just going to be fatigue." Um, so, but after two months, it, I would take disulfiram, and within a half hour, it was like my muscles were lubricated, and it was the only medicine pill that did that for me. Um, so, I loved that. However, when I took it in tandem with doxycycline or Alinea. I had uh, an issue with suicidal ideation. Um, and at my last month, I um, again, I don't know if it was because I took it, it with Alinea, but I just started throwing up after every time I took it. I, it was frightening. I had no idea when I would throw up. I would, my friend told a story and I, it was one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. I laughed and threw up on myself. And I go my mom and I was like, something's up. <laughs> and um, I went off it, but what also was big, um, it did help the clarity, it helped the memory, but my pain that was improving all of a sudden just stopped improving. And my left scapula, um, I was, oh my God, like for two months, just the worst burning pain in the world. I would try everything at home I could, I would PMF it, nothing. And finally, a physical therapist is like your your scapula just slipped off, which is not supposed to happen. And later on I learned my rib um, slipped. I don't it's something called a slipped rib, but which it, is common with Bartonella.
1: So it, it does <laughs> we've heard others say that from disulferen they've had these suicidal adulations as well, or these severe decline in their mental health. So what's interesting is it it could be in your experience that disulfiram alone was okay, but the combination of disulfiram with doxycycline and potentially antiparasitic medications caused that reaction in you. So I think that's a good tip for people to be aware of when they're yeah. thinking about disulfiram, but it did have a positive impact after the two-month mark. You were mid, mm-hmm. you know, suffered for the first two months, had a positive impact, and then eight months later went off. So when you went off the disulfiram, would you say that your health was generally better than when you started?
2: Um... This was another doctor change. I uh, thought it it felt better when I started. I was happy with my weight. I was happy with my energy, my digestive system, but that pain wouldn't go away. And um, my breathing was very, very tight. And I went to the hospital over it and they were like, listen, we can see that you're having an issue, but your lungs are fine. And it was my diaphragm. I was bronchospasm. It wasn't expanding. So it was also a very real symptom that was being kind of pushed under the rug because my doctor had no clue what to deal with it, to do with it. Um, And he wound up looking at me saying, listen, have you tried acupuncture? And it was like, I can't breathe. Acupuncture is not going to do it for me. And then I did try acupuncture and it didn't do it. So
1: So it it must be hard, though, identifying which of these symptoms would be potentially Lyme-related, co-infections-related, mycoplasma-related, versus maybe long-term effects of having COVID as well. So it's probably a struggle that you you face with your doctors. Now, throughout all this, were you able to graduate college in your senior year? I mean, this seems like a really difficult time in your life. You know, walk us through that part of it.
2: That was tough. Um, It was really tough, thankfully. Not thankfully, but COVID hit um, my last semester of senior year and um, classes went online and if my classes didn't go online I might not have graduated but thankfully I, um, I don't know how I did it but I, I got through school with the help of my professors oh, and con- that- congratulations
1: that is a major feat considering how sick you were, all of the hell you went through and yet you were still able to attend your virtual classes and get through and pass and graduate with a bachelor's degree, it sounds like, is, is amazing. So congratulations.
2: Thank you very much, thank you.
1: So now, what happens now? So you're, you're having this bad pain, you've improved in some areas, worsened in some areas, you're now out of college, you're probably trying to figure out like, okay, what am I gonna do next? Am I gonna go get a graduate degree? Am I gonna go work, but I'm still really sick, what do I do? You know, yeah. walk us through your mindset and also what steps you take next.
2: So I graduated, I'm happy, I am excited. I'm able to fully focus on my healing. Um, But at first there was was definitely the, I should go right to grad school. I should, there was a bunch of like simultaneous shoulds in my life. Like I should have a job by now. I should have had an internship by now. As if I was like just ignoring what I've went through. We are our own worst critics as we know and I was kind of dealing with my friends were getting jobs and careers and I was still here dealing with pain and this breathing where I I couldn't breathe and I'm still feeling not heard and I'm dealing with these new shaking symptoms. I've got new neuropathy pain in my feet, which was scary. And um, so I started losing my mind and I just started I, I need to see. I need to see more people. I am not getting what I need. Um, I went to a rheumatologist, a neurologist, a, a pulmonologist. I I was like, I guess, hoping anything but Lyme at that point because it was so confusing. Um, is there anything else that this could be? And uh, my doctor did not want to test me for small fiber neuropathy. Um, Don't know why it was really frustrating when he finally did test me. I had to email him two or three times again. Did I ever get those results in? And finally it takes him. It was a, he told me then it took three weeks. You'll hear from me three weeks, two months for me to hear. I have to ask him several times. Um, And he's like, yeah, you got it. Come in for a visit. And it's just like, No, I'm going to go to someone else. You wanted to, it took him four or five months of me complaining about these symptoms for this test. And I just remember, like, before I got the test, we were in the the office and he, I, I said, I don't know, maybe it's worth a small fiber neuropathy test. And he said, yeah, if it comes down to that. And my mom just looked at him and she's like, well, don't you think now it's coming down to that? We've been bringing it up. So...
1: And, and this was relatively recently, right? Because you graduated, this is all within the last probably six months or so that this has kind of went down, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. September.
1: So yes. you went to a different doctor for this and, you know, walk us through the last six months now, you know, what happened at the doctor after you got the positive test, what you did and, and really how you're feeling today now as a result of all that.
2: So I finally get the positive test. I bring it up to him and he's like, it just doesn't seem like your issue to me, which is doctor code for, I know nothing about this. And um, that was really frustrating because when I looked it up on my own, it was everything I experienced since I'm young. My stomach pains, my tendonitis, especially my back pain, my neck pain, that it was always there in the background. So it was really frustrating because it's like, wait a minute, these things I've been dealing with my whole life, I can get rid of. And you're telling me this isn't my problem. Um, So I freaked. And I said to my mom, I need to see a million other doctors. And I was doing a lot of physical therapy at the time. And um, one of my physical therapists actually said to me, I don't know if you've ever heard of myofascial release before, but you seem like a really good candidate for it. And I looked into it and it was really interesting to me. The premise that light pressure on a muscle can cause that muscle to open and release and I again. I tried everything from like you know pain injections, every type of massage, electric massage, deep oscillation massage, lymphatic massage, and something as simple as light pressure was saying that it could get rid of my pain. And I gave that a shot, and um, I had a Herzheimer reaction. Um, and I didn't know. I was very irritated when I left, and it hit me. I must. It must have been a Herzheimer reaction. Um, But the masseuse said she wouldn't be able to see me for three weeks. And all I knew was that that was the one thing that opened up my diaphragm. And at that point I was absolutely panicking um, because no one was addressing my breathing issues. I had seen a new doctor that I am with now and I love him, Dr. Phillips, go chronic. Um, But it it, it was not being addressed. Um, So I looked again into this myofascial place and I wound up finding this two week retreat um, for serious patients that again, couldn't move, that can't breathe. It feels like their entire body is locked up. They really advertise for a lot of fibromyalgia patients. So I went to another MFR therapist and um, she's evaluating me and I asked her at the end, do you think I'd be a good candidate for that place? And she said, oh my, God, if you can pull it, you, I don't know who else you are you, 22 and you can't move, you know? Um, and I went and it was amazing. It was life-changing and it showed me how I also continue my Lyme disease, like my pain, but MFR for pain was the only, the biggest, most instrumental tool I can talk about.
0: So you, you paused for a minute and you talked about your current doctor, Dr. Phillips, is that um, he's the author of, of Chronic?
2: Mm-hmm. And uh, Dana Parish?
0: Yeah. So we're um, we're actually going to be interviewing uh, uh, Dr. Phillips and Dana Parish on uh, next Wednesday. So we'll uh, oh, no. let you know how uh, how that goes. Uh, I actually, I'll, I'll hold up the book. I don't want our listeners to say it, but I'm actually reading the book right now. So oh, cool. congratulations on finding Dr. Phillips. I know he's a, a brilliant doctor. Yeah. Let's talk about your transformation. How has this experience caused you to learn about you? What has it caused you to learn about you? and how has that caused you to now become the person who's reaching out in so many different ways to people in the Lyme disease community?
2: Um, it showed me how strong I am and how I don't ever you know appreciate that, and we don't appreciate that often. Um, it's tough. It showed me that I don't need to hate, not hate, but fight the life that I'm living. Cause there was this duality that I was experiencing where I'm supposed to be 22 and healthy and fun and working. But then there's also the 22 year old girl that lives on her bed and is taking every medicine in the book, still trying to hang out with her friends on the weekends Um, so I'm finally on the page of, I just have to take care of me and whatever that means for me. And I'm glad that that's showing up in my relationships because it's a, it's also reciprocated now where my friends are being more authentic with themselves and with me, um, where I'm able to tell them what I need and they're able to actually do the same. Um, so I found that really cool. I found my strength pretty impressive that no matter what, I still show up time and again. And um, emotionally, I think it's important to also release that along the way because you can learn, you know, you're carrying anger or sadness or fear from this too, which is normal. Um, So talk to us about how you've,
0: um been able to engage in outreach through social media, through doing podcasts like this one, and the other types of outreach you're doing despite still being in the midst of your of your health battle?
2: Um just being as much a part of this community as I can. Just this is actually my first time being pretty outspoken. Um but yeah just circulating the pages. I think it's important that we have it not be like this hidden part of us and have it be, you know, this is something I'm fighting and we're proud of it. And I think it's important to get the discussion out there. This is no coincidence. I think that it coincides with mental health awareness month. So I think it's just in time and on us Lyme patients, including myself to post when we're able to post, get the facts out there so that our peers don't feel alone in this.
0: So now let's get to the final piece of this. And hopefully this information will get out to young people in a way that it didn't get out to you so that they can protect themselves from ticks and tick diseases. So now, if a bit after this uh, interview, um, your mom came walking into your room and she had a tick biting her, what would you recommend that you do so that she wouldn't have to go on a terrible Lyme disease journey?
2: I would say go right to the doctor, just put alcohol on that immediately, colloidal silver, clay, anything. And let's go right to the doctor and just get you on 30 days, no matter what. Thank
0: you for listening to the Tick camp interview with our guest, Emma Pakulas To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Emma and her tick disease journey, please visit our Instagram at Emma underscore Pakoulos, P-I-K-O-U-L-A-S. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Camp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tech by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get you automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.